Welcome to the Booktopia Podcast. I'm John Purcell. I'm here with Olivia, and we are across from Max Porter. I'm very excited because um, this is uh, Lanny. Uh, your new book is uh, one of the Booktopia staff favourites. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for coming and talking to us. Thanks for reading the book and supporting it. Well, it's one of those things. Um, we get to see a lot of books. The books come through, you know, your you bookseller of the year. Um, a lot of books get handed to booksellers of the year. Um, and booksellers uh, have to read and, and uh, get an idea of, of thousands of books a year, not always reading them cover to cover. Um, and when something like your book hits our table, which kind of resets the reader, like it, it breaks us out of, uh, out of our complacency and asks us to be a bit more engaged uh, it just gets all of our attention. And when I read it, I went, you got to read this and pass it around. And everyone started doing the same, the same thing. Um, what's your, what's the reaction to this new book been? When your, um, first book, um, Grief of the Thing with, a thing with feathers is, was a, a, a book that kind of, um, started, well, I think what is kind of was led on to Lanny and Lanny has, has started to get much more attention. Um, and brought the other book out of the shadows a little bit for us in Australia, at least. Okay. Um, so, what was what has the reaction to Lanny been like for you uh, in the UK? Um, well, yeah, I mean, grief grief just kept on happening. Like, you know, first they said, "Oh, it'll probably be a really small book, and you'll maybe sell five hundred copies to your friends and family." And then it was like, "Oh, wow, that that's keeping on selling." And then it then it then it won some prizes, and then it and then it was it turned into a play and then the play was really good and had a really famous actor in it and then I was like geez this is actually a thing now so it kind of kept on happening and I kept on being surprised and delighted and grateful and humble and and then it, maybe not sure I wanted to write another novel and then really enjoyed being translated and all this kind of ha- happened and sort of I thought well, it was never going to stop happening and so I might as well write another book because now I'm a novelist you know <laughs> now, now now I have to now I have to realize that there's a readership and people will read the work and also, more than that, people are reading a relatively odd and unusual book, which is experimental in formal ways, and 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 don't flinch at that and love it and come up to me at events and say, thank God you went straight to it, or thank God you play around with my expectations, or, you know, there's people who are receptive to it. Mm. So with Lanny, I didn't feel any second album syndrome or anything like that at all. I just felt an absolute eagerness to crack on, do it, um, and push it. Various ideas I have about foremost, I can try and go further. And the reaction's been good, yeah. I mean, generally, the response has been, yeah, he's done it again. Like, if you like books that are going to get you in that certain way, then, yeah, he's, this is this is more of that, and it's and it's bigger and more complex, and he's, and he's pushed it, and that's good. I had one really horrible review in a right-wing newspaper early on, and it's the only one that's been unkind, and it was upsetting for an hour or two and I got lots of nice messages from other writers like Sarah Perry saying like ignore it you know and it's better than anyone that is a newspaper that reviews books in a stupid way and they're misogynist and they're stupid, all this kind of stuff which I did know but that doesn't stop the pain mm-hmm. and that pain has turned into deep gratitude for that man because it's the perfect illustration of how I want the book to function mm-hmm. he thinks Lanny's pretentious and annoying like Lanny's dad does. That's the point Lanny's a mirrored surface he's, he's, he's an absent so if you find him annoying that's because you find precocious and interesting kids annoying that says more about you than it does about the kid or me like that's interesting he found he called it hippie hippie it, yeah oh, he yeah. said like warning um was it warning um 
mystical thinking. So that's very interesting because there's not actually any mystical thinking yeah. in the book. You're projecting onto it. And what are you scared of? You know, like, you know, there's a kind of oafish climate change denial type right-wing punditry going on there that is a very interesting response to a book that is just saying, how do you feel about trust, friendship, art, creativity? He obviously doesn't feel good about those things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, apart from that, it's all been really positive and interesting and, and, and uh, the reviews, uh, like they have been here in Australia, actually, really interested in the form of it. Mm-hmm. Like asking what it asks, what it puts you through. And then in part two, it does this. And then the reader is suddenly experiencing this. And like, that's a great thing for a writer to have people keyed into it intellectually as well as like open hearted, interested in the feelings of it. So yeah, I'm chuffed. I think if I ever um, like last year's main book a winner, was it last year? Um, George Saunders, what was it? Lincoln in the Bar. Year, year before. If, yeah, the year before. Um, if that shows us anything, it's that there is actually a readership out there for such interesting kind of form defying mm. bending work mm. um, I just met and thank today. God for that <laughs> I just met him today and, um, really. and I'm a little I'm a little lovesick yeah I, <laughs> I, I adore him mm. the thing is about like this idea of experimental versus not experimental like one of my very nice reviews in the UK by John Boyne the novelist was saying how much he loved it and it surprised him because he finds lots of experimental but like a blockage I, I see what he means, but I don't think there's particularly a distinction between experiments. Like, all novels are experiments um, of different kinds. Like, Marianne Keyes' novels are, like, highly successful experiments in how to portray realistically social life and depression and drinking and all, all sorts of... You know, she's a master of her experiment. Um, what I think they're referring to, those sorts of people, whether oh, I didn't expect to like this, but I did, is that a lot of experimental writing or things that do things with form or break up voice or anything like that or use different, borrow from poetry or plays or whatever, or in my case, like kids' books and fables and stuff, they do it like as an exclusionary thing. Like It's like clever, performing a cleverness on the page that says this is for people that understand like an avant-garde tradition. Of art. And I, I'm not, just not interested in that. I want the exact opposite I want to do experiments with form that, that get the reader further into the book and shock or trick or delight them or or stimulate different... Like, it's all content, isn't it? Like, I think it's fine now that novelists borrow from TV or from podcasts or from social media. Like, these are the ways we get our stories now. So the novel itself has got to be a bit flexible and interesting in the way it borrows. And that shouldn't be a thing that is an author showing off. That should be a thing that is a gift to the reader. We, we or between them. We interview lots of writers here, and there's a, um, and I, I feel the anxiety myself with that, um, the need to have a, like have a career as a writer. Mm. So you need to then sell stuff and get the next one going. Um, when you uh, first wrote grief, you you were told by a friend, well, "Ain't gonna sell. Mm. Um, that's not gonna that's not gonna work." And you've been a bookseller, and you were working mm. in publishing. You knew how it all worked. And you still went that way, the absolute opposite way. Where did that come from? Where did, did you did you think, well, I'm enjoying this, that's all that matters to me, or I'm doing something which is like, how did you get over the fear of, I don't know, there was it's, it's a kind of um, walking away from market expectations and those kind of things. Well, that's a really good question because the answer is quite complicated and, and involves me being like, honest with you about myself. <laughs> Um, I have an odd thing because I was a publisher so it's like you I'm, I'm in the business and I, yeah. I was I don't, I'm not anymore but I read you know I, 
hundreds of books a year and lots of proposals and I'm always reading and I'm thinking about things in an incredibly aggressively professionalised manner like even a sentence into a proposal or someone's manuscript I'm writing it off because it's full of cliche or it's too familiar or I've already published a book this year about that or the sales team will hate this person because that or we can't publish another author from you know Japan because we just did three Japanese books or whatever it is yeah. you know all these like swords chopping away at the, the enjoyment of the book and that has problematic results for me as a reader because I, I I want to just be in a book with none of those distractions and definitely for me as a writer like philosophically and practically the whole thing gets bloody messy and, and, and that but weirdly despite that despite thinking in, like I could just sit here at these bookshelves and think immediately I'm just these, these, these are all just shouting signifiers for me publishing signifiers the finishes the, prem, the, the size the format the paper uh, every, they're, they're all just it's a busy world and how am I ever going to get away from how busy books are and, and try and find some peace and quiet and make my own work and weirdly I just can <laughs> I just found I could like when I first started to write Lanny I was just I didn't hear Amazon I didn't hear my colleagues I didn't hear my, the writers I was working on I, like, certainly like people always expect you know there might be some flow in from the writers I'm working on they're just you're just if you're in it for the right reasons and you want to make the work and you love the work, then it's just suddenly utterly silent, especially with Lanny because it was a village. So I'd think about it all week and I'd be taking some notes and generally letting it sit in my book. But then when Friday came, I just up and walked around the place and knew what Robert was having for breakfast and knew what Jolie would be smelling when she went outside and you know knew how long it would take Lanny to walk from his house to Pete's house. And that, was, that meant that I'd, there's, no, you know, there's no room for, you know, I don't know, whoever his book I was, I was saying I was working on Rebecca Solnit's essays. Even if she does come knocking at the back of my head saying, oh, it'll be on Monday, you've got to send Rebecca's manuscript. You almost have to train, like a gym bunny would like train themselves not to snack while they're in the gym. I just train myself not to think about those things. I'm just focused on Lanny. And because I fell in love with him and it and the place and the woods and those are things I, I love myself anyway. It's just, it's just gorgeous. I read, I read in an article... Um, uh, interview with you that, uh, that some of the means people keep referring to this as the genre because the kid goes missing. Mm. That's a sort of there's a bit of police procedural sort of stuff in there as well. Um, and the way in which you discuss, well, if you come to it in a, with a new from a new angle for, from a new voice, nothing nothing old, is old ever. Mm. Like, and you can just keep like you, you mentioned uh, Sally Rooney's book about yeah. adolescent love. And why are we all reading that? We were all we all know about that and we've read millions of things yeah. about that before Why, how is she able to do this yeah and that shit is brand new when Sally Rooney does it yeah, yeah. And, uh. and this is what you've done here you've done this, this shit is brand new um, well I, it, but firstly I think you can like um, good writing is brand new every time uh, because you're, you're using language differently and there's infinite varieties so that's one thing but the other thing is I want to assume that my reader is a very accomplished person in their reading or their TV watching or their radio listening or their loving of their family or their fear of finding things or whatever it is. I'm crediting them with as much of that as I possibly can all the time. So I don't need to do much. I don't need to build a whole character uh, and tell you exactly. I just need to give you a pertinent thing that means that they're suddenly alive in your head Mm -hmm. and choose the right one, not a familiar one or a cliche one. So with the crime genre, exactly. We've all read really great thrillers. So we know what how police behave. We know the kind of characters that police are in these books and the kind of, you know, moral failings and like practical and logistical problems of being a police officer in the modern age. And the amount. I don't need to do any of that. And in a way, I'd be insulting your intelligence if I did do that. I'm like, you know what it's like for these people. So I strip it all out and just give you the guy feeling like a total lemon 
with his guidelines yeah. suddenly when they like they found all these notes from Lanny he just feels like a total dork that's all you need about that guy and I hope that's that's enough like he served his purpose he's he's flicked that switch in your brain like and that is much I guess that's a technique much more from the world of poetry than the novel or, or but, but that's because the novels become so bloody baggy you know yeah. Mm. Yeah. sometimes you're reading a novel and uh, this is even a pleasure in some novels if it's done like but you would read 30 or 40 pages and and you have got nothing mm. it hasn't forwarded any of the ideas nor has it forwarded mm. any of the action it's just novel for the sake of novel as if that sort of bagginess or something is part of you know Sure. Our expectation, because we give, give give it so much time. I don't know. Do you physically have the the extra words on the page, or are they in your brain when you're paring them down? Like if you bit got of both. I, what I tend to do is edit as I'm writing. I'm still first and foremost an editor, so I, I if I write a sentence that is, it's just if it's not giving me the energy, it's not giving me the energy, and there's no point pushing through that, and it bores me. You know, so like I try and recently I was in order to deconstruct it, I was writing a kind of thriller thing, and. Um, even just getting a character from A to B in a conventional realist way, I'm like, oh, save me from this drudgery, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and also, I'm not particularly gifted at writing long sections of prose because I, I, it's just not particularly my style. I like, I like, I like to get into the line a bit more than that. But there are what I do is I write things that I think are really, really good, <laughs> and then they turn out not to be, or they turn out not to be in the book. I wrote this long thing about commuting mail, and it was kind of pan-historical voice of commuting, about what it's mean, meant for hundreds of years to go in and out of a city for work. I think about it today in Sydney, actually, watching people come into the city in so many different ways, you know, on, in the water or in the car or in the train or whatever. And I, I think it's some of my best writing. It's really, it's really sharp and really funny, and I, and I think I was onto something with the kind of the way that the Victorian voice becomes the modern voice becomes a kind of echo of the part. You know, I thought it was... I mean, it's something I'll, I'll keep on at. And my editor just said, it's not, all you're doing is, is stopping us, no Robert, on our own terms. You're just giving, you're just getting in the way of Robert, really. Mm-hmm. In the same way as when I wrote The Mum in Grief is a Thing with Feathers, I was just stopping the boys being able to describe her in absentia. So I cut it, and suddenly the book just goes, click. you know, you have to listen to the, to the book. I really believe that. And I just, someone else had to help me with that listening at that point, and, and they were right. They were just, the minute I took that out, the book just—it was as if he just stood up and walked out of the room, ready, you know, in his, in his own skin. There are parts in in both books that take my take my breath away at the honesty of it. Like the, there are bits where I think you've gone deep there and you've pulled something out that is your unique experience, uh, and maybe twisted a little tiny bit, but yeah. you can feel the real truth truth of it. Yeah. That's, I mean, a lot of writers shy away from that, and you, you seem to use that as as part of the um, the contract between us as the reader and the writer to kind of, you know, I'm giving you something now. Yeah. There's some sort of relationship going on there, but I've been, it, I just go bravo. <laughs> Make you feel uneasy though. It does, it does, it does, but in the in the way in which it's meant to be, um, and, you know, when in, in grief with, with some of the things the boys say, which are just so harsh, like it yeah. just, and it yeah. just took me straight back, like boom. Yeah. Right back to childhood um, and to, to horrors, you know, of yeah. of the of those times. But you don't like very few writers are going to be that open and that honest and hit those those marks uh, like that. And when you do, you often pull them out. Yeah. Um, you, you, how do you? How do well, you? Well, you've got to hit the marks. I think that's it. That's that's a nice way of saying it. And and you've got to be relatively unflinching. But also, I 
I have an honesty thing. I, I, I worship. I, I'm into truth, and you know, and I don't understand why, uh, uh, as grown-ups, particularly in the kind of worlds of work and politics and everything, why we're talking about this last night at the Sydney Writers Festival because the theme is truth. But why we are happy to routinely and naturally and habitually bullshit one another mm. about emotional realities, like almost to the point of like denial. Like I'm a Martian in that respect. Like. It's extremely funny that we take ourselves so seriously and we have to stop two times a day to shit yeah. or, or, we, or we have to go to sleep every night otherwise we go mad. Like We're quite funny and quite pathetic and yet we take ourselves hugely seriously. So in a way it's a kind we, of... We don't have an executive bathroom up here and so you have you have these mixed with <laughs> people and you're like, oh, you're shitting too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like when you go to an airport and you hear all those kind of plop, 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 plop. And... and you know, that's CEOs and kings and priests and peasants and, and cleaners all doing the same biological stuff. And yet, the, the minute you step out of that door, in come the hierarchy. You know, the, the kind of the lie of difference, really. The lie of, of otherness and superiority in nature when we are really strange at animals. Do you feel it being piled onto you? Like, I mean, there are certain parts of your career where people just go, okay, now you're this. And it yeah. gets piled on top and you can't really see through it. it uh, others' expectations are... are um, thrown on top of, of, of you and it excuse the honesty. There's, there are so many things that, that, that the, within society, within our, um, within our little minor hierarchies all the yeah. time yeah. that get in the way of just being honest. I mean, I'll keep on with that. I think that's going to be a feature of my writing. But, like, the funny thing is making stuff up, you know, particularly with this book, rather more than the first one, which was more autobiographical. So... I remember being really amused because someone had said to me about that book, I was very brave because the dad, you know, he has this, he talks about this relationship he's had a few years later when he brings a woman home and he has sex with her and, and, um, he kneels on her and he bashes her teeth and he comes too soon. And this person said, you know, that's right. People will think that's you. And I was like, Jesus, man, of all the risks one would take writing a novel, the idea that someone in some kind of warped and intrusive and like, Basic, like failure to understand what fiction is, but also just like voyeuristic way would think that I, I like, I, I once prematurely ejaculated with a Sylvia Plath scholar. Like, okay, sure, have that. Like, <laughs> I did in my other life. Uh, you know, so though, like, a novelist have to get better as they go uh, about the fact they steal from real life. But like a character like Robert, I don't need to do any research. I know men. I've met men. They're weird. They're funny. They're tragic. They're all much more unhappy than they give the credit for. They are all locked into their iPhones and stuff. 90% of the internet is people looking at porn. So reviews in the UK that were like, Robert, who's a villain because he looks at pornography on his phone. It's like, you insult your husband. I, 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 I suspect he looks at porn on his phone like most people do. That doesn't mean that I'm, it's not the moral framework I'm launching on him. I'm not even particularly judging him. I'm just setting him up there as a person that I, did I, did I want you to feel that? <laughs> not you, John. I'm not pointing at you, but you have to have these electric charges of recognition. Otherwise, otherwise they're just two dimensional things being slid on for the point of, as I said, for the point of the novel. Yeah. So what is the novel if it's not jumping out on me and going, Ooh. cause I want you to feel, as I said to you outside, like complicit in this. Mm. You you were relaxing at the end of part one. You were enjoying these people's company. You were loving Lanny and Pete's relationship. That is not okay. Uh, you know, I I've asked you to ask like, what's this old man doing with this kid in the woods? And is this is this something that I've been tricked into, or, or was I right to be suspicious at the beginning, or, or am I therefore like this? You know, there has to be a good amount of white space in the book for that sharpness. And as you say, that intake of breath suddenly where you go, oh. Um, now I'm involved here. 
It is the, I mean, if, if literature has some kind of uh, role, it, there is that for us to question what we do and what we think and how we think and why we, why we come to that conclusion to continue to keep us awake mm-hmm. in, in, in that. Um, and this book does that. Uh, both books do it. And there are those, those, those moments because you let you, as you say, you lead us along with, with the story in, in part one. Yeah. And we, each reader will have their own assumptions as they get to that point when you pull the rug yeah. out. Um, and are you, in writing that, are you, are you absolutely conscious that that's the game you're playing? Um, I guess so. I mean, I, I guess so. Like, in, in as much as the novel is quite theatrical as, as a setup. So anyway, so I'm sort of saying, oh, we're all wearing masks now. And you have to guess. And I've given you enough information to be able to recognise when it's Robert and recognise when it's Jolien. And therefore, I'm sort of saying this is a highly artificial world, but uh, but let's like let let's use it to play to tell the truth. You know, I, I guess it's not. Someone asked me the other night, why do I keep crashing the train? Why do I want to write books where the worst thing happens? Um, partly because I'm interested in it. I think uh, it's interesting. But is it um, also because you've, I mean, at the moment, the way the way we're all sort of drifting towards. None of us are really making too much of a, uh, an effort to stop what's coming. Mm. Like, and that sense of slapping us awake or keeping us awake or making us aware of, of the decisions we're making, that everything is political, that there yeah. are, you cannot just sit back and watch your, by, by, by not voting, you're voting. <laughs> yeah. By not doing, you're doing. Well, that might be why I've written about children both times, because they are this kind of, they are, as they, you know, Lanny's describes as a transmitter device, but also they, they are this sort of, they contain within them, even when they're being annoying or boring or silly or whatever, they are a, rep- a reproach to us who have got so muddy down in, in the kind of less important stuff, the kind of delusion of belonging to a capitalist and consumer society. And I don't want to be writing about that. I want it to be pertinent to that broader philosophical problem that we're all in. Um, Asking, I guess, asking the questions, yeah, and and, and setting up a, a place where you can come in and be in those questions with me. But I also just something to do, like being away from home is kind of helping me realise this. Like, why did I want to write about England now? Is it because I'm angry with England? Is it because I love? Is it because I love the country? Is it? Is it? Uh, I'm trying to work some stuff out, and I. Someone has, well, I can't remember what someone had called it in one of our like, horrible Amazon review or something. It was something, it was something like um, self-righteous or something like that, as if I'm being judgmental of the characters. And I've been quite careful not to be. I set them up. But there is, of course, the, the character of Mrs. Larton, mm. who is very unsubtle. She's a nasty old bitch. And I thought a bit about how to make her subtle and why. And then I looked at the people... Close to me, near me, in, in in the country I live in the moment, and the newspapers they read, and it's not subtle. Mm. So I didn't want to credit that behaviour, that kind of borrowing of xenophobic or racist sound bites from the newspaper, or the kind of judgment of people that are different uh, as 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 weird or or threatening. You know, those those mechanisms socially aren't subtle. They're very basic and they're, and they're very very powerful. And they've conquered the world. Like, intelligent people are in trouble at the moment. Mm. Like, people that believe in nuance and complexity are on the back foot. And really dumb, crooked, like, yeah, crooks, really. Like, you look at videos of Steve Bannon or Trump or Farage, these people, they're not 
they, they'd be laughable even 150 years ago to our public intellectuals and politicians. Be like, These people are morons. Yeah. They, can, they will never get anywhere near power because they're just too stupid. And suddenly they are near power precisely because they're stupid yeah. and they've weaponized it. So that does pose quite interesting questions to us as creators of fictional universes. I've got a question about Tiff Is he, like, he kind of, he kind of bubbles up within this novel. Yeah, like a reaction to all that you're talking about. Uh, because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the people who are voting Brexit and the rest have had this vision of what England used to be. Um, and there are darker sides to England. Uh, and, and it's almost like this thing bubbles up from b- beneath to sort of just hate everyone. <laughs> like, or to just say that you're all wrong or you're, it, it's yeah. a, it's a kind of just shut up. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. learn or listen or mm-hmm. understand what you're de- dealing with. Uh, was that kind of like or a... Or read bu- history and, yeah. and see how it's always is been. Is that bubbling up between... But, but is that some sort of thing bubbling up from within you with all this happening around you? Because you, you've gone... Well, was it 2015 was really when everything went well with grief. Yeah. And then you've... Uh, I, I don't know how long it took to write this, but this is... You know, it's 2019 now, so it's been a long time. Um, and... This Toothwort character sort of mm. comes up, and 2016 was a terrible year for for um, for intelligent humanity, people and, and yeah, humanity. Yeah. And then you know we've, we've had to live through the results of that, yeah. um, all the Brexit crap and and Trump and and and, and the like. Um, how how did how did you feel that that Toothwort came up in in mm. your your writing in your life? Well, he 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 came up for literary reasons. You know, I I, I like to write these characters because uh, they're the, they're the ones that just come naturally, and I want to have. Characters that use language in certain ways, beautiful, tasty, mulchy, chewy language. I want it in my books. And, and maybe that comes from a love of poetry and music and everything. So that's a, that's a simple answer. Uh, when I thought about writing this book, because it was, it existed as a poem with Pete and Lanny. They were, they were the book really. And there was no tooth wart. And then I realized for structural reasons, but also for political reasons I didn't want to write about contemporary England I'm not particularly impressed or interested in contemporary England I think it's very disappointing that we're being as unkind as we are to each other that we are letting down the people that need our help most that the the structures that needed reform so badly so long ago are still chuntering along chaotically and cruelly doing what they've always done making life harder for the people that need help most you know we are an abysmally cruel society and run by a handful really not very many utterly inhumane elites and then the whole lie of oh you can punish the elites but the, the sheer con man ship of it as as with america is i, I th- you could be really angry and i you know i've taken to the streets like a lot of people and you know you can sign as many petitions as you want but at a certain point you have to accept that it's slightly heartbreaking but that it isn't new we've been run by a bunch of mad elites forever and they've always shat on ordinary people uh, time and time again and if anything we've, we're, we're, we're living in a golden age because you know we're not burning witches we're not we're not um, starving people in, in, in industry you know we're not uh, any point in British history or global history you can just see us doing hideous atrocious things to each other so I, what I wanted to do was just zoom out from the present certainly not write a Brexit novel like I can't imagine anything worse like if it's a Brexit novel it's because it might be a cathartic zooming out from this present and saying A, this has always been the way it is, but also the world, the earth will probably survive us but also the environmental thing like Toothwort has seen a lot and has and has loved us through thick and thin he loves our language, you know, he loved us when we had the Romans here, he loved us when we were Anglo-Saxons he loves, you know, he loved Victorians he loved, 
there's something celebratory there about the fact that ordinary people getting on with their lives are wonderful and cruel and weird and everything. The thing I guess he's noticed, if he's noticed anything in the last thousand years, he would have noticed enclosure. He would have noticed people chopping up the land and one person owning it, and meaning that other people would trespass if they moved around it. That would have registered it to him as, a, as a, probably a bit of a no-no. And I think he probably would, would recognise the pollution in the air and, the, and in the water. You know, he says chemicals pumped into my into my waterbed. You know, um, those are significant things. Brexit is is. I hope in the grand scheme of things, and certainly in the cosmic and ecological grand scheme of things, um, not significant. Mm. The significant thing is the Anthropocene, that now we're human, you know, humans are killing this planet. And I don't think it's ever my job as a novelist to say that. You know enough about Toothwort to know that's how he feels. You know why Toothwort's in love with Lanny, because that's what Lanny recognises innately and feels. And I don't even need to give that to Lanny. Like, none of these themes are really explicit in the book. He sometimes alludes to them in his in, in thing, and there's obviously bits in the patterning. But it's amazing how strongly that's been understood as the book's message, despite the fact it's never really stated in the book. Mm. Um, and that's to do with what that relationship is, whether he's a metaphor for a, a rewilded natural state or whether he's part of us or whether we've, in fact, made him, whether he's a fantasy or a projection or whether he's, in fact, childhood. And, you know, obviously... the we don't want to give anything away, but what he, when you find out sort of what he is, it makes perfect sense, I think, of the way we treat each other as adults and why I want to keep writing about children. You know, The most cruel, the, the most flamboyantly ridiculous viciousness of the childhood universe, you know, like in my first book, you know, the kind of desire, if we've been honest, like psychoanalytically about each other, a desire to crucify your brother or poison your brother or whatever it is, you know, that, that, that is as truthful and beautiful as life gets. I think those, those feelings and those stories. And it's only when we grow up and tell each other to quash those feelings or, or don't tell anybody about your bodily functions or don't tell anybody about your fears or, or grow up. There's nothing you can do about, you know, chop down the tree. We need it for firewood. There's nothing you can do about that. That's the death of the imagination. So I want to, I want to bring that up again. And um, we've gone over time, but I just, I had this image when I was reading it, especially the squiggly bits, right? Of, of you walking around a, a village at night with a notepad, just yeah. listening in doors and windows. Mm-hmm. How did you get those lines? Because the, the book is just, uh, when the village speaks, when, when he grabs all the words and, and just throws them on the page in this higgly diggly bit, some of them just, are just, so I forget them immediately because they're so true, they're so real, um, and you've heard them a, a number of times. How did you compile that part? Is that is that just from memory, or is that? Yeah, I just made them up, really. I'm, I'm like most novelists. I do like to listen to people and, I, and watch people. I like I like to sit. I'm happy on a bus overhearing someone. Or um, do you jot it down or just remember it? Um, I suppose when I was actually writing those bits, I would, I'd have a notebook with me and I'd, I'd write things down. I went to some villages like, like Lanny's village and I got some stuff from village notice boards and stuff, <laughs> village magazines, particularly church magazines and stuff. I got a fair amount from uh, my mother-in-law who, who just can talk <laughs> and, and likes to just talk about the small town they live in, in the, the kind of detail... You just don't, you just zone out when she's talking. Cause you know, she'll be talking about, um, you know, Trina's, uh, got to decide whether she's going to park the car at, at the 
park and ride or get in, but of course you've got to bear in mind that Jonathan's going to have bags with him and, and you know, it's going to be heavy to get back to the bus stop and then the bags because Jonathan's got a bad hip. But actually, his, his hip's not as bad as it was six months ago, you know, and on it goes. And, and you can just take any sentence of that and drop it in and two thought would be like, oh, yeah. Because also he doesn't like, like he, he's not interested particularly in like the sermons the priest is saying or anything like that. Yeah. He wants, he wants the, 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 the everyday stuff, yeah. the glorious, banal stuff that we all say. And therefore, it's, I hope it's realistic. So there is, so realistic. Well, there's a Hungarian immigrant saying that the beer tastes like shit. There's a lot of drugs because in small villages outside London, there's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of coarse language, sexual language, because there's a lot of coarse sexual language. You know, there's a lot of casual xenophobia because there's a lot, you know. Hmm. So I, I hope it's calibrated and patterned in the, in the right way. And obviously as it darkens towards his plan, I hope it gets more, I, I don't know, like, because it's sound, it's not literature, it's, it's mm. to be heard. So, I, yeah, he he is walking around the village. I am walking around the village with a notepad, but he's also actually, he's bugged your bedroom, you know. Yeah. He, he's actually inside your bathroom yeah. when you're saying that thing to your wife at night that you would simply wouldn't say to anyone else. Max, thanks so much for coming and talking to us. We've had a great time. Uh, it's just marvellous. Um, I've just been sitting here listening to the two of you. <laughs> Come on, hit me with a question. <laughs> I can't leave one on the spot. It's been great, and we we so enjoyed the work, and uh, we, we'll continue to enjoy the work because we'll go back to it. It's one of those things where oh, you just keep dropping back in. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And you can get hold of Lanny at booktopia.com.au right now. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget, for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.